Open your Bibles with this morning, if you would. Two places in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 34 and Deuteronomy chapter 4. Exodus 34, that's where we begin, and then Deuteronomy chapter 4. Just mark those if you would. Exodus 34 and Deuteronomy chapter 4. As always, we pray. I wish I could say that the war that had started a couple of weeks ago in Israel was over, but you and I both know better. It's going to be there for a while. Everybody that talks about it says it's complicated. I think it almost always is. There is good and evil on both sides. I don't mean to make equivalencies there, but everybody makes mistakes and wars start. And unfortunately, the regular folk are the ones that stuck in the middle. So pray that those that have power could make decisions to bring peace. Pray that God would be able to work and that relief agencies could get food into Gaza and Israel and that the regular folk could get food and water and the hostages would be freed. It's just, it's just a horrible thing. I wish I could say it is unusual in human history, but it is every day. And we are privileged to live for we do not have to contend with that sort of thing. So count your blessings. I'll give you a few moments to pray where you're seated. I'll close and then we'll look at these passages together. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your blessings poured upon us so generously. We live in a land of peace and plenty. We thank you, Father. You have blessed us with strength and power and peace and comfort and security and food, entertainment and extra. Thank you, Father. We know that others around the world live with little of what we have. We pray for them today. For those that are struggling to survive, we ask you would send help their way. Use us if you can. We pray for those that are at war, those in Ukraine, those in Israel and Gaza. We know there are other places too. Work, Father, to bring peace and justice. We pray that those that have power would make good decisions. Decisions based not on emotion, but on the good of the people. Help them to make compromise with other leaders. Give them wisdom. We pray for our leaders, those who have been given power by election and by appointment. Guide them, direct them, Father. Give them humble hearts. Give them hearts of concern for human life. Help them to make decisions that can bring peace and justice and help those who struggle. Father, help us to be people that honor you. Help us to take seriously your call upon our lives to serve others, to love others, to be advocates for peace wherever we are. Help us, Father, to resist the temptations of hatred and prejudice and sin. Help us to be people that reflect Jesus in all we do and say. 
We do ask, Father, for forgiveness. We're a sinful people. Even at our best, we are tainted with our motives. We ask you would cleanse us as only you can. Make us whole. Give us a desire for justice and righteousness. Help us to work for those goals. We pray this morning for those that have power. We pray for those that are servants of the people, first responders, doctors, soldiers, and their families. Protect them wherever they serve. We pray, Father, that in their efforts, they could save lives and make an impact for good. Comfort their families in their loved one's absence. Father, we pray a special blessing for those whose loved ones have been taken hostage. Help them, Father, give them a special sense of your presence. We pray that hostages would be returned. We pray that armies would give up on that practice of taking people hostage. Lord, all we can do is say, help us. We seem powerless to make things better. But you have taught us that you can work through us. Help us to remember that great lesson. As always, we thank you, Father, for this good life, for all your blessings, especially for this life that we have in Jesus. Speak to us now from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I had a little sister. She died a, three or four years ago. But growing up, she was quite the girl. She was born with her mouth open, never shut it. One of those people, gorgeous, attractive, and all those kinds of things. She was so spirited that men had trouble being around her for very long. And I'll just let you interpret that. But, but she was a great gal. I went off to college and made some good friends. And one day I was there with Tammy and she knew my friends at college. She went with me. And I was talking about one of my friends in particular. And my sister's ears perked up. Really? What's he look like? Is he tall? Is he short? Is he skinny? Is he fat? Is he funny? And I gave her all the standard guy answers that guys would give about their friends. Didn't tell them the whole truth or anything like that. But you know, good guy. And then she looked at Tammy, my wife, who was my girlfriend then who knew this boy. She goes, okay, Tammy, what's he really like? Now, she knew that I wasn't lying, but she knew that Tammy would look for something different than I looked for. She didn't want to know just what he looked like. She didn't want to know just did he have a good sense of humor or anything like that. She wanted to know what kind of guy he really was. Thought about that often. Nothing came of that relationship there, but... Uh, and he and I are sort of estranged friends for whatever reason. But isn't it interesting that she wanted to know what he was really like after she got my answers? We've all done that. We wonder, what's it like to talk to Patrick Mahomes? What's Taylor Swift really like? Maybe not that, but maybe somebody else. Mel Gibson or somebody else that's in the news. What was Barack Obama really like behind the scenes? What's... Donald Trump real like behind the scenes, you probably know that. But you know, we have, we have these desires, we see people in the media, or we see people at work, and we get an idea of what they're like. But sometimes we wonder, what are they really like? We just do that sort of thing. If you're like me, sometimes you might ask yourself, I wonder what God is really like. I mean, I can tell you great stories about God. I can take you to the Old Testament, go through the creation account, 
the choosing of the Israelite people, the Exodus experience, the miracles, and all those kinds of things. I can tell you that. In fact, anybody can tell you those things. You can read the Bible for yourself and get the idea there. But still, you might wonder, I wonder what God is like. Sometimes when I talk to people that aren't in the faith and they don't know much about the Bible, I can tell they really don't care about how powerful or big or wonderful the miracles are. They want to know if the God that is God, is he going to accept them? Would he love them? Would he forgive me? What's he really like? Today we're going to look at some Old Testament passages to see if the scriptures can teach us what God is really like, staring in our series, Christ in the Old Testament. Today we're going to look at the Old Testament law, a little bit of history. God spoke through Moses and gave him the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That comprises the law. There are restrictions and teachings and, and ethical teachings and civil teachings and personal teachings and all those things. But sometimes people still ask, yeah, we know that. But what is God really like? Follow along with me if you would. In Exodus 34, I'll read verses 4 through 7. And we're going to begin to see some things about God that reflects on what he is really like. Exodus 34, beginning at verse 4. So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took two stone tablets in his hand. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Again, a little bit of history. Moses had already received the two tablets with the Ten Commandments. He went down to find the people who had already built a golden calf and were worshiping that under the leadership of a man named Aaron. And he was so angry and enraged, he threw the tablets down on the ground. You remember that story. Moses wanted to kill them all. God said no. Moses begged for God to be patient. God said yes. Called him back up and gave him two more tablets. And that's where the story picks up that we're reading. So you can see we've already seen some tremendous lessons about God and Moses and all those things just in the reading of this short story. And what we do is when we read the the law, we get a sense of who God is and what his heart is like and the character of Messiah. Remember last week, we talked about how God was in the Old Testament and how he appeared to people in, in the angel of the Lord. And that phrase was used over and over. And we learned that oftentimes the angel of the Lord referred to Messiah making an appearance in the Old Testament. The phrase the angel of the Lord often referred to Messiah's presence. Not always, but often and Jesus, before he was Jesus, the human, was Messiah, God the Son. And he would make an appearance, as he often did to Moses and some others. So, today we're going to learn the heart of Messiah. What we can learn as we look at the law about God himself and what God is really like. So, on screen, you can see some things here. First of all, God is patient and loving 
and forgiving. Most people don't focus on this. Most people focus on the powers of God, the fear of God, the judgment of God. Whenever people talk about God in the common vernacular, if it makes it into a movie or something like that, people are afraid of God. They're afraid he's going to zap them. Someone came into church a few weeks ago and they hadn't been in a while. And he was just glad someone didn't knock him down and God didn't strike him. He was joking, of course, but he was a little bit reluctant because he hadn't been to church in a long time and he thought maybe, maybe God might hurt him. That's where people are. And so they asked a question without asking it, what is God really like? Is he really angry at me? When you read the law, you talk about the Ten Commandments and the command for justice and judgment and all those kinds of things. So you most naturally think of the negatives. God is strong and powerful and scary. And he judges sin and he punishes people. And we might miss the greater part of God's character. So in the passage we read, if you would, look at that again in chapter 34. Verse 6. The Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, forgives iniquity, transgression, or sin. The primary part of God's character is one who is incredibly patient, forgiving, offering people another chance. We tend to focus on those stories in the Old Testament, don't we? Where God punishes, wipes out entire armies and civilizations, and all those kinds of things. What we often forget is that God sent prophets to them for decades saying, please turn away from your sin. Giving them chance after chance for repentance and turning and forgiveness. See, that's what God wants people to do. When he sees people in the air other ways, he wants them to stop. He doesn't want to punish them. He wants to love them. He wants to forgive them. He wants to bestow kindness upon them. Tammy and I were at a couple of our grandkids' soccer games yesterday. And the first soccer game was of seven-year-olds. And what that meant was the four-year-olds were on the sidelines with us. And the sidelines in one of those games is a circus of little kids getting in trouble with their moms and dads. And it's because they're bored, they're waiting for their game, etc., etc. And the weather was pretty and all those kinds of things. So all these four-year-olds were doing their thing. And over and over, moms and dads said, Johnny, stop. Henry, stop. Whatever it was, stop, stop, stop. And ultimately, if they didn't stop, they would often be given a chance to change and repent of their behavior. Change behavior is what that means. And sometimes they did and everything was fine. And sometimes they didn't. And dad grabbed the kid by his elbow and drug him off into the bushes, literally. Most parents want the child to turn away from their behavior that's getting them into trouble rather than punishing. Punishment isn't the first thing you do. You give kids a chance to change. This is the way God is with us. He is a good parent, a loving father. He loves us. He wants what's good of us. He wants to teach us. And he is ever patient and kind to us, loving and forgiving, until, until it's time for judgment. The second one, an advocate for truth and justice, means just that. God is one who does punish evil. We need to understand that. And I don't know how, and I'm not willing to point out these people are suffering God's wrath or things like that. I don't know those things. But I don't, do know this, that God demands justice. That God cares about right and wrong. And all those things that we've seen seemingly dismissed in our culture of relativism, he has very clear understandings. There are some things that are right. And then there are some things that are wrong. 
And I want you to walk in the way, in the path of righteousness. And he calls his people to resist sin, to understand what sin is. And so there are many teachings about that. And he will punish people. Interestingly enough, the scriptures teach us that God doesn't always have to act to punish us. Sometimes he just stands back and lets us suffer the consequences of our actions. God's judgment. Just like a parent. You don't always have to punish a child. Sometimes they just get in trouble on their own. Sometimes they just suffer the consequences of bad behavior. And this is the way that a good parent works. This is the way God works. So what is God really like? God is like a really good father who is strong and firm and patient and kind and sometimes punishes when he has to. One other thing, family-oriented. You may not think about this much. In the law, there are teachings. Look at the Ten Commandments. You shall teach these words diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in the house out of Deuteronomy. Honor your father and mother out of the Ten Commandments. Many teachings in the law about how parents should relate to their children, about how children should submit to and honor their parents, all those things. Teachings that say, when you sit down in your house, talk about the way God works. Make sure your kids hear. Make sure their children see you at work living lives of faith. You see, what God was doing was showing, I value family. So when we talk about God revealing himself, remember, we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when God says, I value family, we see Christ in that teaching. When God says, I value righteousness and truth, we see God the Son valuing truth and righteousness. When we see the scriptures teach us that God is kind and loving and patient, we see the Messiah, Christ, is kind and loving and patient. So what is God like? What's he really like? He's patient. He is just. He is family-oriented. By definition and by teaching, we are to carry on those characteristics. So if you want to know how God wants you to act, there you go. Patience, lovingness, kindness, and forgiveness, standing for truth and justice, being oriented towards your family, love family, treat family, care for them, treat them well, make sure that they're a priority. That's how God wants us to act. He wants us to act like him because when we do that, we win. When you act like God wants you to act, you benefit. You experience the blessings that come from God himself as you live a life that he can bless. Many times he wants to bless us, but we make it impossible when you live as God calls and as God demonstrates, it is possible, probable, that God will bless you for it. Whenever the Old Testament reads about the angel of the Lord, you see Messiah speaking and revealing the heart and character of God. God's heart is to love you. God's heart is to love them. Whoever them is, you know, we tend to divide ourselves into us and them. God loves them. God is patient towards them. God judges us. God judges them. God wants us to value our families. God wants them to value their families. In fact, there is no us and them, and you know that. 
You know, we use that just because that's the way we talk, us and them. To God, there is no us and them. It is all. God loves us all. Some of you will remember in the, in the New Testament that the term for God's love is agape. Self-giving, sacrificial love. Not necessarily emotion, but more action and commitment. In the Old Testament, the word is chesed, which means simply loving kindness. And that's the word that they use to describe this God that is known for judgment. One of loving kindness. One of the other things that these scriptures teach us is that the law reveals the intentions of Messiah for humanity. I remember when I was in college, preacher school, we always talked about finding God's will. And because it was a big deal to us. We wanted to know how to find God's will. One of the hardest books I ever read was written by a man named Pink who wrote about the will of God. It was thick with tiny print and lots of big words I'd never heard before. And I read it because I had to. Put it down never to pick it up again because it, it didn't mean anything to me. Talked about a lot of religious rules and those kinds of things. And the reason I didn't have much to think about it was because it made the will of God something hard and secret. I don't think God's will for us is really all that hard and all that secret. When we see the way God works with his people, we see the will of God for us. Follow along with me if you would in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'll read the first 10 verses. Kind of a long passage. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you should be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know nor your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you nor did your food swell these 40 years. Thus you know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore... You shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you shall eat food without scarcity, in which you shall not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron, and out of hills whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. You recognize this passage. This is when God was beginning to promise them the land of Palestine. Yes, that land that we see in the news every day. There would be a time when God would give that land to his people. A little bit of a side here, just because that's what we're talking about in the news every day. When God said he would allow them to be in Palestine, he wasn't saying you have to kill everybody. He wasn't saying you can't let any Palestinian people be there. He was saying you're going to be in charge. And he wanted them to take those laws of behavior of loving kindness and forgiveness and apply them to everybody in the land. 
Yes, he gave them the land. But no, he didn't want them to hold anybody bondage or anything like that. So, that teaches us something. It is possible for us to know the will of God and to mess it up, isn't it? God wants to bless you, but you can mess that up. God wants to give you things in life, and you can mess that up by abusing it and misusing it and ignoring biblical teachings about your behavior. So whenever you receive something from God, be it blessing or wealth or discipline, make sure you receive it with humble hearts and open hearts towards God. Did you notice in the passage we read that God said, I took care of you and I disciplined you in the wilderness? Sometimes God let them go hungry. He wanted them to struggle and get strong. Oftentimes he fed them. He wanted to know the blessings of God. Their clothing lasted miraculously. Their feet did not swell miraculously. God provided for them, disciplining them. Discipline here isn't punishment. Discipline is when you teach a child how to live and be strong. I see my children disciplining their kids, not necessarily punishing them for doing wrong, but making them make do with what they have and not giving them all they want. And the kids don't know this. They just know the mom and dad won't give them what they want. But what they're doing is they're teaching them how to be strong. So instead of getting everything new, they shop at thrift stores because they don't have to have everything new. Instead of giving them everything they want for Christmas, they get part of what they want for Christmas. They're being disciplined, you see. Taught that you don't have to have everything. Taught to be thankful. Taught to be patient. This is what God was doing with his people in the wilderness. He was teaching them. Teaching them how to live in a hard world. Teaching them how to be patient. Teaching them how to be thankful. Teaching them how to live in this very difficult world. That is God's intention for us. And Messiah taught us those things. So on screen are some promises that Jesus brought, Messiah, in the New Testament era. So we've shifted now from talking about Messiah in the Old Testament to Messiah Jesus in New Testament. And these are some of the things that Jesus reveals to us. Read this passage with me. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Everyone who believes in me shall never die. The people in the Old Testament could only barely imagine what this was. Jesus made it clear it is eternal life. Follow me and you will have life and life eternal. Not just life on this earth, but life after this life is over. An eternal question of humanity is what happens when I die? So we always ask these questions. What is God like? And what happens when I die? So Messiah reveals those answers. Follow me and you will have life. The Bible doesn't give us a detailed account of what it's going to be like or an order of all those kinds of things. We have images, banqueting tables, streets of gold, mansions. Those are just word pictures trying to help people to understand in eternity there will be plenty. You will be safe. You won't have to fight to be safe. You won't have to fight for food. God will care for you. That's what God wants for you, to live with the conviction that this life is not all there is. I wish I could say if you're a good Christian that you'd get everything you want and have a life of ease, but I would be lying to you, wouldn't I? Life for many is very difficult. 
We know that just from the news. Those in Ukraine, many good Christian people are struggling. Those in Israel, those in Gaza, good people are struggling. So what we can do is help them to live with the understanding that if they follow Jesus, that after this life there is more for you. If you follow Jesus, there is more than just this life. There is life eternal. If we can go to that next screen, we can see something else. Read this passage with me. If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Not necessarily political freedom, but freedom from the burden of your sin. Freedom from the burden of religion that drags you down and destroys you. There are religious faiths and teachings out there that destroy lives and keep them captive to traditions. That is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith has this ability to help you to see beyond your situation. And using things like justice and freedom and truth, you can see a life that is better than you can see right on this earth. You see, scriptures teach us that. Think about this. Much of the wonders of Western culture are biblical teachings. One person, one vote. Everybody is worthy. God loves everybody. God wants those with to care for those without. Some of those bedrock teachings of our culture and Western civilization, those are biblical teachings. This is exactly what God wants us to understand. A life that is free from the burdens of sin and evil teachings and evil practices. The practices of humanity are often cruel and abusive and murderous. We can catch a glimpse of a life that is different as we follow Jesus. Next screen, a life that is abundant. Read this passage with me. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Sometimes physical abundance. Always spiritual abundance. A sense of strength from within. A presence of the God who is God. As you follow Jesus, you experience God's presence in your life. The Holy Spirit lives within you. You read scripture and God speaks to you. He speaks to you as individuals in your situation. He speaks to this person and says one thing. He speaks to this person and addresses another situation. And they learn to work together and follow God together. This is what God intended to happen. We receive an abundance from God. Sometimes, for instance, in our culture, it's physical abundance. But that isn't always the presence of God. Sometimes people live without on this earth. And yet, they can have joy. One other thing on screen. A life that is secure. Read this with me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. The big fear was that if you did something wrong, the preacher would send you to hell. And preachers were called priests, and hell was called all sorts of things. The great fear, though, in almost all religions was the religious, the religious leadership can punish you and send you to hell and take away God from you. And Jesus said... It's just not true anymore. Never was before and it isn't now. There is no priest that can send you to hell. There is no one person that can separate you from God. By faith in Jesus, God is with you in your life. And that life that is eternal is yours 
no matter what. It's a promise. I will be with you. Lo, I am with you always. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. The devil himself cannot steal you from God. He may destroy your flesh. He may tempt you into actions that get you killed or worse. But your faith in Jesus will keep you alive and in eternity. There are blessings that cannot be taken away for those who follow Jesus. So think of those things when you think about what God has given you. Because we tend to think that God's blessings are always what I can see and touch and feel or spend. The blessings of God, the best blessings of God are eternal. No one can take them from you. You can't always see them, but you can feel them through faith. On screen is one more idea. God has revealed his character. The character of Messiah through the Old Testament law. And the more familiar we come, we become with God and his teachings, we can begin to discern how he wants us to live, how he wants us to be, and how he can lead us. And in those things, there is life. Even in the Old Testament. So follow Jesus. Follow that Messiah that appeared throughout the Old Testament. We call him Jesus now. And find that life that is eternal. Nate's going to come and lead me, lead us all in a hymn of invitation today. As we sing this hymn, consider what God's call is on your life. And if there's a decision you need to make, an act of repentance, of turning from something in life, turning towards God more faithfully, make that decision. And if you want to make it public, you can if you'd come forward. Why don't you stand with me, please? presence today to worship you. We've heard the words, we've sung the songs, now let us leave here and, and live the life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.